You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. That was a little better than first service. Well, let's try that one more time. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry oh, that is much better. See, we're warming up early. We only got seven days till Christmas time, so you know we got we got to warm up the voices. So, uh, if you're new or you're joining us online, uh, my name is Colton, and I'm Journey's West Campus pastor. It's a real privilege to be over here at the Central Campus this morning. Uh, you know, as a church, we celebrate Advent. Uh, not just to remember Christ coming 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, uh, but also in anticipation of Christ's future return, his return to make all things new. Uh, Christmas is all about celebrating. It's about celebrating that Christ the Savior has come, but also that Christ the Savior is coming back again. Uh, So for this holiday season, uh, we've been unwrapping Christmas by unwrapping the three gifts of the wise men, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to unwrap God's greatest gift to the world, his begotten son, Jesus Christ. Now, all of us have probably unwrapped a gift before, right? I I hope you have. I I gave this invitation for service. If you have never unwrapped a gift before, come to me privately after the service, and we're going to change that. But, you know, some of us have probably had the experience of, you know, unwrapping the same gift twice. You know, perhaps you go to one Christmas party with the family relatives that you like the most, and you unwrap a gift, and you're really happy about it. And then you go to the second Christmas party with the relatives you're forced to be around, and you unwrap the exact same gift. You know, maybe it's the exact same toy or uh, the same wallet, and now you've got two identical wallets. Now, there's certainly been a few occasions where my kids have gotten the same gift before, uh, because I'm a great parent. Now, uh, sometimes their reactions, though, are priceless. Uh, I think last year, our daughter, Cora, um, she was just blown away when she got two of the exact same toys. Uh, She could not believe that she now had two of these same two toys to play with. So uh, that, that, that was a great little surprise for us. But, you know, our daughter's reaction, though, isn't probably most people's reaction to getting a duplicate gift. Now, most of us would probably, you know, if we're receiving a duplicate gift, we might be, you know, a little disappointed. We might be wondering, you know, hey, is there a receipt with this? I can return it. Now, if that duplicate gift were cash, though, I don't think I would be complaining. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be okay. So, um, there's a scene from my favorite Christmas movie. I don't know why it didn't make the poll, the church poll, but there's a scene from my favorite uh, Christmas movie, Christmas Vacation, uh, where Clark uh, Griswold, you know, goes to meet with his boss, and he's concerned about whether or not he's going to be getting, you know, his Christmas bonus for the holidays. So he tries to make a good impression on his boss by getting him a little Christmas present. Uh, To Clark's misfortune, though, he gets his boss a gift, uh, but his gift is wrapped in the exact same shape and size as all of the rest of the employee gifts behind him. Uh, It seems that Clark and everyone else in the office had the exact same idea and all got their boss the exact same present. 
I mean, just imagine being Clark's boss, and you end up unwrapping like 10 of the same holiday gifts from your employees over and over again. I mean, unless they were giving you gold bars, you'd probably be pretty underwhelmed. Yet, you know, when we come to the Bible, duplicate gifts are never something to get disappointed about. Uh, Rather, duplicate gifts are there in Scripture to get our attention, to to pay pay attention to something that God's trying to show us. I want you to take a look with me now at Matthew 2, verses 10 through 11. It says, When they, the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, in the last uh, two weeks, Pastor Mike and Pastor Mark explained that these wise men were not Hebrew Israelites. Uh, They came from faraway lands in the east to offer treasures to Jesus. And if you look there carefully at the text... Uh, Notice that these gifts are not given to Mary and Joseph. It specifically says, opening their treasures, they offered him, that's Jesus, they offered Jesus their gifts. So why would these wise men travel miles and miles following a star to give a child gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I mean, what is a child going to do with gold, cologne, and perfume? You know, doesn't that seem more fitting to give to maybe an adult for Christmas? Well, me, thinking I was clever, decided to ask my three-year-old, Cora, about this. I asked her, I said, you know, you're a child, would you rather have a gold bar or mac and cheese for Christmas? And mac and cheese is her favorite, you know, food. So to my surprise, though, she insisted she wanted the gold bar. No amount of me reframing that question would get her to change her mind either. I even asked her, I said, hey, Cora, do you, do you know what a gold bar is? And she throws up her hands and is like, I don't know. So she has no idea what a gold bar is, but apparently she wants it more for Christmas now than mac and cheese. So I guess Santa is going to be making a pretty expensive stop at our house this Christmas Eve. In any case, though, you know, the reason that you might give a child a treasure that that child might not even be able to use It's because it symbolizes something, right? It symbolizes the respect, the reverence, or the honor that you might have for that child and that child's future. Pastor Mike mentioned that it's likely Jesus' family used these three gifts to help fund their exile in Egypt uh, during the persecution. Um, Yet what I want you to see today is that these three gifts represent so much more than just financial treasures. You see, the wise men are not the first to give these three gifts in the Bible. They're duplicate gifts. The book of Matthew is the only book in the Bible to mention the wise men and to mention their three gifts for Christ. But the book of Matthew isn't the only book in the Bible to mention these three gifts together. A faithful Jew in first century Israel would have immediately seen a deeper significance to these three gifts a deeper symbolism that goes all the way back to the beginning of God's Word. That's why, you know, three words that, you know, we might not normally give much thought to in Scripture, gold, frankincense, myrrh, 
are actually something to get really excited for in the Advent season. And that's because they are profound symbols that reveal the very nature of Christ himself. So as we head into this last sermon, this last Advent sermon before Christmas Eve, I kind of want to do three things in today's message. First, I want to show you how all three of these gifts come together in history and in the Old Testament. Then second, I kind of want to dive into some of the unique symbolic significance of frankincense uh, in the message. So if you are here today and you're like, I am just ready for frankincense, you're going to have to wait to the second part of the message. I'm sorry about that. So, but lastly, I do want us to take some time just to consider, you know, what difference will Christ's presence make in your life this Christmas? So before we get into it anymore, would you please just take a moment and let's pray together and just ask God to bless this message. Dear Father God, you are the giver of good gifts, gifts like our life, our children, our provision, and most of all, our Savior all come from you. God, we pray that you'd help us all to receive the good gift of Jesus this Christmas. He is the king more worthy than gold. He is your son more worthy than frankincense. And he is the savior more worthy than myrrh. All of the treasures of earth wouldn't be enough to honor him. So by your Holy Spirit, help us to offer ourselves as treasures to Christ, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. God, open our hearts to receive the gift of your word today. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus, the Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. So, if the wise men were not the first to offer up gold and frankincense and myrrh in the Bible, who was? Well, there was actually a place where all three of these gifts uh, were always present. And that place was the temple. In the days of Jesus, there was this massive temple in the city of Jerusalem. And it was the largest and most lavish of any temple that the Hebrew Israelites constructed. And the temple was supposed to be at the center of worshiping the Lord God. You may recall Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And in that exchange, the Samaritan woman tells Jesus how her Samaritan forefathers worshipped God on Mount Gerizim, which is a mountain located in northern Israel. Yet she recognized, and says this in her conversation with Jesus, she recognized that the Jews to the south and southern Israel worship God on a different mountain called Mount Moriah. And that's a highland within the city of Jerusalem. The uh, uh, the temple that you see in this diagram here it was actually built on that mountain, Mount Moriah. Now, the temple in Jesus' day wasn't the first one built, uh, but it was the biggest one ever built. King David was the one who originally commissioned the construction of the first temple, and he commissions its construction on Mount Moriah. And the temple was eventually fully finished um, in the days of his son, King Solomon, in 957 BC. Now, one of the reasons why King David chose Mount Moriah as the site to construct the temple in Jerusalem is because it was believed to be the location where Abraham built an altar. Abraham built an altar to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
That's something that you can read about in Genesis 22. However, if you read the story, Abraham never did end up sacrificing his son. God wanted to test Abraham's faith on the mountain. But God did something more than just test Abraham's faith on the mountain. God wanted to show Abraham something. You see, in the Genesis 22, God provided a ram, a male sheep, for the sacrifice. All of it pointing to what God himself would one day do with his own son. Abraham never needed to sacrifice his own son Isaac for his sins. And that's because God would one day do just that on Mount Moriah for the sins of the whole world of the crucifixion of Christ. Now, Mount Moriah was a place in the minds of the uh, Jewish people, a place of atonement, of forgiveness, of faith, and of provision from God. And the temple was supposed to be this place where God's people and the whole world would come together to receive all that from him. And not only was it a place where gold, frankincense, and myrrh were all given in worship, but it was built on a mountain of promise where God promised to provide the final sacrifice for sin once and for all. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh were supposed to be given like gifts of faith and obedience to the Lord God, all in anticipation of the greater gift of salvation from the Lord God. But did you know that God's people were actually giving these gifts even before the construction of the temple? In the days of Moses, God's people were nomadic wanderers. Uh, The Israelites, freed from Egypt, wandered 40 years as a people without a land to call their home. Yet God was still present among his people. And God instructed Moses and Aaron and the priests to build a holy tabernacle where uh, he could be worshipped by his people. You know, whereas a temple is kind of a fixed stationary structure for worship, kind of like our church building, a tabernacle was a portable structure for worship, kind of like a large, movable, weatherproof tent. Whereas the exterior of the tabernacle would have been relatively plain to the eye, the interior was adorned with vibrant dyes and with gold. If you are looking carefully you know, at this diagram here, you can see just how much gold would have actually filled the inside of the tabernacle. It was a place that was supposed to be fit for a king, and that's because God's people were supposed to faithfully serve him as king. But what exactly was the role of gold, frankincense, and myrrh in worshiping the Lord God in the tabernacle? Well, we actually learn a lot about this in Exodus 30 through 38, which are God's precise instructions for building the tabernacle. So we're going to read those chapters now. Just kidding. We're not going to read those chapters. I'll spare you of that this morning. Instead, I'm just going to highlight a few of the important bits about these three gifts that show up in those chapters. Now, from now on in the message, I'm going to use the word temple, but just know that I'm referring to the temple and the tabernacle. All of this applies to both. Now, first off, gold adorned the temple's walls and altar. Uh, The lampstand for oil. Some of you have probably seen the Hanukkah menorah before, right? Uh, The menorah was made from solid gold, and it was placed inside the temple. Uh, The altar of incense was made of acacia wood, and it was overlaid with pure gold. 
And of course, the Ark of the Covenant that some of you here remember from Raiders of the Lost Ark, more so than the Bible. Um, Well, the Ark is real, and it was used to house the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and it too was overlaid with gold. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, Colton, these weren't gifts. These were just really expensive construction materials. You know, maybe we should use some of those here in, uh, you know, our, our renovation project. But no, it, what, what's really fascinating is in Exodus 35, Moses declares something really special to the people about gold. He says, whoever is of generous heart, again, whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linens. All of the materials given for the construction of the temple were intended to be given with a generous heart. They were intended to be given gladly as gifts to the Lord God. Even back in the days of Exodus, faithful followers of God were not supposed to give gifts under obligation. They were supposed to give generously with joy because of the freedom that they had already received from God. So, you know, if you're finishing your Christmas shopping, or, you know, if you're prayerfully considering any year-end giving, please don't just give gifts because you feel like that's what you're supposed to do. Instead, go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to give you a generous heart that really feels the joy in giving without strings attached. You know, when you just take a moment to pause and to remember that the temple or even this church building is made beautiful because of the gifts of God's people, it should fill you with joy and wonder that God can do such amazing things through his people. God wasn't, or gold wasn't the only gift uh, given at the temple though. Uh, Two important types of oil were also used in worship there, frankincense and myrrh. Uh, To put it as simply as possible without reading eight chapters today, frankincense was used more so for God, myrrh was used more so for God's people. At the very end of Exodus chapter 30, we find the Lord's instructions for a very special kind of oil. This oil contained a mixture of frankincense and other spices, and it was to be burned at the temple's altar of incense. What's interesting is that in verse 37, it says, And the incense that you shall make, according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. In other words, God's people were not supposed to use this special frankincense oil for themselves. It was intended to be burned as a fragrant offering and a special gift given to God alone. Now, myrrh, on the other hand, was supposed to be used on God's people. Uh, The only time that the word myrrh shows up in the book of Exodus is also in chapter 30. And in this chapter, the Lord reveals to Moses that myrrh is to be used as the temple's holy anointing oil. It was to be sprinkled on the temple itself, it was to be sprinkled on the temple's instruments, but most of all, it was supposed to be used to anoint the temple priest. You know, as human beings, we've all inherited the curse of death, and that curse affects everything that we make and do. 
Yet this holy anointing oil that was made from myrrh was intended to spiritually point to God's promise that the curse of death would one day be taken away. Myrrh was used to represent something unclean being made clean, something unholy being made holy, something lifeless being given new life. All in all, when the temple priests were meeting with God in the temple, you would have smelled the fragrant aroma of frankincense in the air. And if you met a priest who was on his way to the temple, back then you would have smelled the aroma of myrrh on his skin and on his clothes. But you know, the book of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus isn't like an ordinary human priest. Hebrews eleven twenty six through 27 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Jesus has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. You know, what's interesting about Jesus is that he wouldn't have needed the holy anointing oil made from myrrh to enter the temple. Now, what's interesting about Jesus is, is he could have actually used the incense oil made from frankincense for himself. And that's because Jesus is more than human. We celebrate Christmas because he is the incarnate Son of God, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Because Jesus is our perfect high priest in heaven, who sacrificed himself on our behalf, Jesus goes on to say to the Samaritan woman in John 4, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You see, in 70 AD, about 70 years after Jesus' birth, the great temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman Empire. But just as Jesus had told the Samaritan woman, we no longer need the temple to worship God. And that's because Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple's purpose. Yet, it's not the Jews, it's not the Samaritans, it's not even the Romans that we see traveling to give Jesus these three gifts from the temple. It's wise men traveling from the east and they give these three gifts directly to Jesus because they saw Jesus was, in fact, the Christ. They gave Jesus their gold, not because he needed wealth, but because Jesus should be honored as the King of Kings. They gave Jesus frankincense and myrrh, not because a child needs incense or perfume, but because they saw God's presence in Jesus. They saw God's Savior in Jesus. In other words, they gave these gifts because Jesus is the king. Jesus is the savior. And Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. These three gifts should remind us what Christmas is all about. One Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, puts it this way. They offered him gold as a king, paying him tribute. 
frankincense as God, for they honored God with the smoke of incense, and myrrh as a man that should die, for myrrh was used in embalming dead bodies. Again, I hope you see how truly amazing it is for these three gifts from the temple to be given to Jesus by the wise men. It it is no accident. These three gifts foreshadow the very nature of the redemptive work of Christ in the scriptures. So, you know, if you've ever wondered why the wise men gave these three particular gifts, I hope some of what I've said is stuck with you to help you understand that they represent so much more than just a financial treasure. By unwrapping the symbolism of these gifts in the Bible, they actually show us who Jesus is. Now, there's a lot more to say about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's why Pastor Mark preached a whole sermon on gold. That's why Pastor Mike last week preached a whole sermon on myrrh. Uh, In this message, I really want to show you how these three gifts kind of flow from temple worship. But what I'd like to do next, really, is now start digging in to the significance of frankincense as a gift to Jesus. To help us do that, though, we've got an audience participation question. Um, What are some of the fragrances that you associate with Christmas? If you could shout them out, don't be shy. I heard pine cone and pine tree. Cinnamon, peppermint. Those are pretty good. Those are pretty good. Okay, we got some fun ones. Uh, One that I always thought was like those orange chocolates, you know, those chocolate oranges. I used to get those around Christmas time. You see, most of us, not all of us, but most of us have five senses, right? Sight, hearing, touch, taste, and smell. And what's interesting about uh, our five senses is that some psychologists believe that smell is the one that's the most closely linked to memory, uh, perhaps more so than our other senses. So if I were to ask you um, to imagine the smell of logs burning in the fireplace, uh, some of us might remember a memory of stockings hung above our fireplace on Christmas Eve. Or if I were to ask you to imagine the smell of fresh-baked Christmas cookies, some of us might recall a memory where we could smell the sweet aroma of sugar and frosting while decorating cookies with the family. Or if I were to ask you to, you know, imagine the smell of evergreen and pine, some of us might remember the very first Christmas tree that we ever got. Or, you know, if you were the Griswold family from Christmas vacation, you might, you know, remember the unfortunate memory of your grandma's cat uh, chewing up the Christmas lights. In the same way that fragrances that we smell can trigger our memories I believe that God intended fragrant oils like frankincense and myrrh to help trigger particular memories about worshiping him. But you know, what exactly is frankincense? Throughout this whole message so far, I am sure there's at least one person here who has wondered if it's connected to Frankenstein. Um, Besides the two words sounding similar, um, they're not connected at all. Uh, Frankincense actually comes from trees like this one that grow native in the Arabian deserts. It actually shares some characteristics with the evergreen trees that we use at Christmas time. Frankincense oil even smells a little like evergreen, except uh, it's a tree that also blooms, so it has a citrusy smell too. 
Uh, you might better kind of remember it as a sort of Arabian desert Christmas tree. So next year, let's all commit to, you know, setting up frankincense trees in our house. You know, it'll be fantastic. No, don't do that. You know, if you were to walk up to a frankincense tree, though, um, you would notice that its bark is papery and kind of peely. And on the outside of the trunk, uh, small drops of liquid resin run down it. Uh, these drops then solidify in the Arabian heat into what they call frankincense tears or Boswalia tears. Uh, it's almost as if the tree appears to be weeping or that the tree is crying. Uh, yet it's these tears that are then collected and refined into frankincense oil. Uh, some historians whom I've come across say that, uh, that out of all of the fragrant oils, frankincense has one of the longest ancient histories. Uh, some ancient societies thought frankincense was tied to spiritual longevity or uh, life after death. Uh, in fact, all kinds of religions in the ancient Near East uh, used frankincense in various rituals. According to a historian, Gary Young, he said that frankincense was believed by the Egyptians to enhance the afterlife journey of the deceased. And there's actually a pyramid text that describes this, and it says, a stairway to the sky is set up for me, that I may ascend on it to the sky. And I ascend on the sense, the smoke of frankincense. So this pyramid text actually has the picture of the soul departing into the afterlife on what? Frankincense. Now, if you've wondered why it's called frankincense, again, it has nothing to do with Frankenstein. Uh, our modern-day English word comes from the old French word in medieval times. Uh, the phrase frank comes from the old French word franc, which means pure. And the phrase incense means just that, incense. So when you say frankincense, you're really just saying pure incense. Frankincense, pure incense. Now, the difference between incense and perfume is that incense is burned to create a fragrant smoke. Perfume is just a fragrant oil that you spray on something to, you know, make it smell nice. Frankincense is unique in that it could be used either way. Yet, the reason that this oil was given this name in English was because it was viewed in history as the incense of all incenses. It was the ancient fragrance of all fragrances. While gold might have been fit for a king on earth, the aroma of frankincense was fit for a god in heaven. Now, the reason I'm giving us this sort of Discovery Channel deep dive on frankincense, I hope you enjoyed it, like and subscribe, but the reason why I've been giving us this is because I really want you to see that frankincense was no ordinary gift. In ancient times, it would have been an extraordinary gift for the Israelites to give to somebody like Jesus. And it's because it reveals that the wise men non-Israelites, really recognized that this child had a profound connection with God. Not only that, but frankincense is actually tied to a prophecy in Isaiah. If you look at Isaiah chapter 60, uh, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll also read verse 6, here's what it says. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. 
but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And pay attention closely here to verse 6. It says, A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring what? Gold and frankincense. And shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. They shall bring gold, the gift for a king, and frankincense, the aroma for a god. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. You know, what's fascinating about this prophecy is that Midian, Ephah, and Sheba are all ancestral tribes related to the Israelites. They actually trace their genealogies back to Abraham, Father Abraham, in the book of Genesis. Not only that, but at the time of Jesus, these ancestral tribes still lived in the Far East. And in what region? Arabia, where frankincense is native to. Now, there's some, myself included, that believe that the wise men in Matthew 2.11 are the start of the fulfillment of Isaiah's vision here. A time is coming when the nations will come to Israel, bringing gifts fit for God and a king. A time is coming when the nations will follow a great light and discover a Lord to honor and praise. And what do the wise men do? Well, according to Matthew 2, the wise men, like the nations in Isaiah, bring gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, all to celebrate the good news of the coming Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, there's a better-known prophecy from Isaiah 7 that also finds its fulfillment in the book of Matthew. If you look at Matthew 1, verses 21 through 23, it cites a prophecy from Isaiah 7 about the coming Messiah. The angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream saying, she, Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew comments here, citing Isaiah 7, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The reason I want to bring this prophecy up is because it's connected to the three gifts that the wise men then give in chapter 2. You see, it's odd to give an ordinary child gold. It's odd to give an ordinary child frankincense, the pure incense of all incenses burned for God alone. It's odd to give a child myrrh, the holy anointing oil sprinkled on the temple priest, the oil used to embalm dead bodies with. All of this would have been profoundly strange if it weren't for what Matthew reveals for us in verse 23. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you to see that if Jesus really is God with us, like the Bible reveals him to be, then it changes absolutely everything. Again, frankincense was the fragrance of God's presence. So if Jesus really is the Son of God, then it makes all the sense in the world that you would honor the Son of God like you would honor the Lord God in the temple. But the surprising part is here 
that the wise men aren't in the temple. They're at Mary and Joseph's humble house, wherever that is. And the magi from the east were visiting the home of a carpenter. I mean, just imagine you're one of the neighbors passing by, and you see this entourage of camels gathered outside an ordinary house. Uh, and then you smell the fragrant aroma of the temple, but it's not coming from Jerusalem. That aroma is coming from the house where the carpenter's family is staying. It's a fragrance you'd recognize. It's a fragrance that would make you think of God's house. It's a smell that might even cause you to remember Emmanuel, God with us. It's certainly not something you'd easily forget. Now, if frankincense is the fragrance of God's presence in the Bible, if it's the scent that's supposed to remind us that God is here with us right now, then I thought it'd be fitting for us to close our message just considering how can we experience more of God's presence in our lives this Christmas? You know, I've heard some people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but I just don't really feel his presence in my life. Now, Scripture makes it clear that God's Spirit is certainly present and at work in all of our lives, whether we feel it or not. But if we're not sensing his presence, if we're not seeing how his word is alive and active and transforming our lives, then more likely than not, Scripture says that we've probably got a doubt or a desire, a regret, or maybe a burden that we've just given a little too much room to in our hearts. Maybe something has made you a little lukewarm this Christmas, or maybe numbed your fervor for God this holiday season. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you that frankincense is a gift given to remind us that God gives us his son. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And if God is willing to give you the great gift of his son's own life for you on a cross, then I hope at the very least you'll receive that gift with faith and you'll sense God's presence by experiencing his love for you. Most of us, you know, aren't like the wise men in the sense that, you know, we don't have treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh just lying around in the basement. You know, we might not have the gifts fit for the king of kings. But what's fascinating is, is that, you know, Jesus doesn't ask for these gifts. He doesn't ask for all the world's treasures. Instead, he asks for our faith. He asks for us to believe in him as the Savior, to devote ourselves to him as the Lord, and to follow him into salvation. He asks for something that any man, woman, or child can give. So if you've never given Christ the gift of faith before, then that's where you've got to start this Christmas. You see, the wise men believed. They had faith before they ever got to the house. The wise men believed before they ever got to see Jesus face to face. The wise men's initial faith in God's Savior coming to this world was what started their journey of faith in the first place. And maybe that's where you or someone you love has got to start this Christmas. Maybe you've been trying to give God your treasures, or maybe your best efforts first, 
But what you really need to do is give God your faith in Jesus first. And if you've never done so before, I'd encourage you to start living with the kind of faith that the wise men have. The kind of faith in Christ that goes the distance, that defies opposition, and that honors the Lord Jesus as God's Savior and King. Is Jesus going to be God with you this Christmas? Now, just a second thought, you know, is, you know, God gives us five senses. And he gives us five senses not just to experience his creation, but to experience more of his presence with. Um, you know, if you never thought about it before, there's a lot about our senses in the New Testament. Uh, this is something Jesus himself taught and demonstrated. With respect to sight, Witnesses saw the glory of Jesus in his baptism, his transfiguration, his ascension into heaven. With respect to hearing, Jesus constantly taught his followers to take care how they listen. With respect to touch, remember how Jesus kneeled and down to wash the feet of his disciples, or how Jesus, through, through a touch, would heal the sick of diseases. With respect to taste, just think about the memories the disciples formed at the Last Supper, taking the cup and eating the bread. Or even with respect to smell, he was gifted frankincense, he was anointed with nard, he was buried with myrrh, all the significant moments of his life and ministry. I say all this because none of us here should limit our interactions with God to simply a Sunday church service. God gave us all five of our senses to experience more of his presence with. So I'd encourage you to think of new ways that you can use those senses to grow in your devotion to God. You know, like I said before, smell is a sense that's closely associated with memory. And if you're interested, after the service, we actually have some scent boxes out by our old coffee spots, uh, kind of by the sink over there, where you can actually smell what myrrh, the holy anointing oil, smelled like, or what frankincense uh, would have smelled like in the burnt offerings for God. So and what I'd like you to do is if you decide to go check that out, try your best to associate those smells with Christ, with Christmas, with the reality that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Lastly, God gives us our voices. He gives us our voices to lift up to him in hymns, songs, and praises. And in just a moment, we're going to close our service out singing the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, while this hymn as we find it today was first published in the 19th century by John Mason Neal, its origins are actually found in a Benedictine chant that go all the way back to the 8th century. For hundreds of years... God's people, Christians, have recited these lyrics around Christmas time. Historians record that in the days leading up to Christmas, monks would sing a verse a day to prepare their hearts and minds to celebrate the advent of Christ. Uh, Reverend Joe Holland writes this, So Christian, this Christmas, sing this great hymn of the church, this great Christmas carol, with a recognition that as you do, you stand in three distinct periods of time. You stand in the Old Testament, looking forward to Christ's first coming. You stand in the New Testament church, rejoicing in the first coming of Christ. 
And you stand with the expectancy of those who are waiting for the final advent of Christ at the end of all things. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now as the worship team comes up to lead us in this hymn, would you pray with me? Uh, Dear Father God, you give us every reason to rejoice this Advent season. And we pray that you would help us all to experience more and more of your holy presence in our lives. Like the wise men, give us the kind of faith that's willing to endure, the kind of faith that's willing to go the distance for our Lord and Savior. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to be our Emmanuel. God, we confess again that Jesus is the king more worthy than gold. Jesus is your son more worthy than frankincense. And Jesus is the savior more worthy than myrrh. Bless us this holiday season to be a blessing to others. And all this we pray in his name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?
This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.